You're listening to the Fantasy Football Astronauts. What's up, everybody? This is the Fantasy Football Astronauts podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Harms. You guys can find me on Twitter at InHarmsWay19. I do film for the Fantasy Football Astronauts as well as a place called RGRFootball.com. That's where all Chiefs-centric stuff is. All that film is there. I'm very happy to bring to you guys Tom Strachan. He's done so many... I can't even begin to describe how many different pieces of content I've consumed of his because they just pop up on the timeline. Uh, But he does... Everything from a fantasy football writer for the you know football outsiders. He's a featured writer at Fantasy Pros. Like he does best ball, DFS, and dynasty content for the Fantasy Sanctuary. How you doing, Tom? I'm good, man. Really glad to be on with you. It's you know, it there is no quiet period in the NFL. It's like no, the league's no. finished and already like diving into last year's best ball data. Starting out like I don't watch college football, so already I'm mm-hmm. trying to learn all the rookies and just absorb much of that content that's out there already. And it's just it's an exciting time, and I'm really glad to be on here with you today. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I know a lot of people, relatively speaking, over the last maybe two or three years, best ball has really taken off. Like it's it's just become. Because you don't, all you have to do is the fun part. You only have to draft. That's all you have to do. And everyone's like, I can just keep drafting these teams and I don't have to worry about starting and sitting and all that. All those questions that people answered. But, you know, we all still have a soft place in our hearts for the the start and sit questions and having to make those disgusting, whether it's, you know, just, you know, I'm just going to blank. This is terrible podcast. But like Devin Duvernay over a... Noah Brown decision, those kind of things on a on a Sunday morning. You're wrecking your brains over it, but you know, best ball really, it's really done a great job. Underdog has done a great job of exploding that platform um, from where it started to where it is right now. So, how have you been playing best ball since it started? Or is this something you just like recently got into? No, I'd say for me. It was kind of really that COVID year just exploded fantasy football content in general. When everyone was sat at home for so much. And speaking of the guys at Underdog, I'm sure that they'll say this as well. Like, they felt that like it was just a perfect combination of everything. Everyone was at home with more time on their hands. There were a lot of people who had more disposable income because they couldn't spend it on anything. Mm -hmm. So people were just ready to draft. And it was right around that time that for me, best ball really kind of took hold of me like before then being in the uk we can't play on every platform yeah can't play on underdog because there's certain different gambling laws that prohibit it so we have access to DraftKings, we have access to ffpc and there's a couple other places that you can kind of backdoor into if you know how to <laughs> but generally speaking back when i first started producing fantasy content there was only the ffpc and at the time i was running leagues on sleeper and rejigging the scores manually myself because I was like, this format is king and the more people who play it, the more people Mm -hmm. it's going to catch on and the bigger the desire is going to be. So I've been playing it probably for about five years now and it's really for me, that's where I'm going to spend a huge part of my off-season focusing on that kind of content. It like Last year I spent about a month writing the Fantasy Pros Best Ball Guide and it was brilliant. I think there's so much strategy and with Best Ball, the game develops year to year so much that we can always look at things and take a bigger sample size and say, okay, well, we're starting to learn a little bit more now about best ball. What does the latest data say to us about the best way to play it? I love that. And I, I personally, this last off season, I got more into it. It's probably, the, it's definitely the most I've ever drafted. I had a lot of fun doing it, waiting until like the last couple of weeks to really check on your teams and see how they're doing instead of like 
all every single week checking how it is. I tried to keep away from it because you know it's there's nothing nothing you can do anymore. It doesn't matter. So just try to to lock in and, and wait till those last minutes. That's a lot of fun to do that. Um, for those that don't know, maybe they're they're thinking about trying to get into it this offseason. Could you just give a brief introduction to best ball, like the the pros, the cons, if there are any cons really to uh to playing this format. The only con is going to be that one draft is not enough. So it very much, <laughs> very you, know, you need to really decide on a budget and you need to kind of stick to it because it's too easy to just draft and draft and draft. And at the end of the day, yep. we do need to be a little sensible with our money sometimes. But if you're new to best ball, checking out a place, if you can play underdog, they're hands down the best place for it. They run contests from as little as $3 to Pomeranians, which were 10, 20 max contests. Some of them were completely rake-free, so underdog weren't earning a cent on those contests. And all the money went back into prizes. That's entirely the best place to start. Mm-hmm. But the format... It's basically draft and forget. Every week, the system will work out the best possible lineup that you could have had, and it'll set it for you. You'll do 18 to 20 rounds, typically, of drafting. And within there, there's so many microcosms of strategy that you can really hone in on that it's all about when are you taking your first QB? How many running backs do you want to use? And what's the optimal way there? And then being able to try and hit on those late-round dart throws because – Players like Zay Jones or Donovan Peoples-Jones this year were absolute gold for best ball. It was crazy. That's one of the more fun aspects, I think, is we all have – this isn't just singular to to uh, you know best ball. It's to everything. People talk about it for rookie drafts, those guys that you can get at the very end that are going to make the most impact on your team. But every year we always see it. like It goes to the waiver wire. Who's going to be the waiver wire winner? Well, guess what? You don't get that in best ball. It's going to be – you have to figure out who's going to be the guy this year. And if you nail it, that can easily bump your chances of taking down some of these uh, bigger lineups, specifically on underdog. And speaking of underdog, if you guys are having trouble with, you know, some some money issues, we all, we all have them at times. If you use the code Astro, they will guarantee you double your in your, – your, deposit amount up to a hundred dollars they will match it so you could get two hundred dollars to play an underdog on all different kinds of matchups and different best ball stuff you could do the mitten that are that just opened up again today for more playoff matchups that would be a lot of fun um i did a couple of them not really knowing the format so i did more studying and now i'm more prepared to to do more my more mittens before the playoffs this weekend but yeah use code astro at underdog to do a, up to a hundred dollar hundred dollar deposit match for you guys Speaking of those finishes, I, I just rack your brain a little bit. Some of your, your better finishes, do you have any that are worth mentioning? Because I know that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've definitely, I've not hit the the top five kind mm-hmm. of finish that I want yet. And those are, you know, those are the ones which we're all chasing because yeah. so many of these formats, there's so little money in making the playoffs. It doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, if you've, been in a five dollar draft you might be getting seven dollars fifty back and if you've been drafting 150 drafts making 30 lots of 750 isn't going to do anything for you really so i've finished top 100 in the DraftKings three dollar and four dollar contests mm-hmm. which are 116,000 entrants so that's kind of cool. the top for me yeah um but looking forward to next year i think i'll probably be trying to hone in a little bit more on the smaller field contests. Like last year, the DraftKings Millie Maker contest had 900,000 people mm-hmm. in, and it was just crazy hard to get all the way to finish. And, yeah, I think I'd, I'd like to try and target some of the smaller contests and go after them aggressively. 
Yeah, I think that trying to bankroll a little bit is just equally as part of this as it is DFS. And I played a lot of DFS and, you know, I've never really gotten a ton of return on that. Not even just investment, but because I haven't done a lot, a lot of research into it. And that's partly my own fault. Obviously, we all just kind of have the app already on our phone and you're just like, well, you know, I got some lineups that I can, I can, I'm thinking about and you don't really get into it enough, but that's, it's the same with best ball. You got to really do some research, find some of those ins and outs. And speaking of some of those resources, what's some, what's one tip that you would give somebody that's looking to get more into best ball or starting it off for the first time this off season? It's entirely to spend a little bit of time just learning about, draft structures so i'm talking about here is hero rb zero rb dual rb things like elite tight end early stuff like this and there's so much content out there on them i've wrote lots about fantasy pros and i'll be writing about it a lot this season it's because people want to go into the drafts and they're saying you know I'm just going to draft the best players. Excellent. Well, if you know the best players, send me all 18 of them. Please. And I'll draft them. <laughs> and it's, but the reality is that we've got years and years of data now that supports that structurally drafting within these structures, if you adhere to certain premises of saying, okay, well, I'm doing hero RB. I'll take one running back in the first two rounds, and then I won't take another running back until outside of the first six rounds that will increase your win rate versus non-structurally drafting by a couple of percent. And when we're talking about over the course of, you know, drafts where everybody goes into it with an 8% chance of winning, that's 12 teams divided, you know, hundred divided by 12 teams comes out of roughly 8%. If you can increase that by even half a percent, that's a great leg up on the field. So yeah, structural drafting really makes a difference. You can get away with a lot of bad player decisions. If you've drafted well, structurally, I had, almost 30% Trey Lance this year. So when he went down in week two, I really thought, well, that's it. I could be just looking at a huge amount of dead teams. And I took quite a few teams with Trey Lance on to the fantasy playoffs simply because they were really good structures and they hit on certain other players at other points. So, yeah, it's not all about player selection. I, I like that point, especially about Hero RB, because it doesn't just translate from best ball. It goes to some of your larger scale fields like for example this is my first year in scott fishbowl i did my very first time and i i did i went here rb and i and i only the only reason i regret the way that i drafted is because instead of taking a wide receiver in the third round i took kyle pitts and <laughs> i probably would have gotten further than the semifinals and the scott fishbowl had I had an actual other wide receiver there but you know you win some you lose some but i had saquon and saquon was the guy and then you hit on Ramondre stevenson later so I had my one-two punch. I had Mahomes. Like I was, I was ready to go. Like I was doing well there. And then you know, Kyle Pitts gets hurt and takes everything down with me. But that structural drafting, it's not. It's it's more of finding ways, not just in best ball, that translate to actual every season. You know, redraft, dynasty, all that stuff. Because you have to. All these things connect in one way or another. The only difference here is that you're trying to construct the team that you can take all the way. That's right now all the way through. It's a little different with everything else, but that, that, that top end structure is really nice for both best ball for dynasty and for DF or DF, whatever you're playing. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and sometimes people interpret that as, okay, these are the rules for a structure and I can't break them. But once you've mm -hmm. learned the rules, you start to understand, okay, well I can break them now. So 
one thing that was common last year was people were doing what's late hero RB. So they were saying, okay, well, Brees Hall's ADP was in like the fourth round or the third round. Mm. He should be in round two. If he takes a job from Michael Carter, he has every chance to be the kind of league winner that could represent what we're looking for in a hero RB. So we're getting a discount on him. And I mean, by the time he got injured, he was the running back seven in points per game. And he really could have been the person to break that mold in that format. That's great. I, that's a nice little piece of information there. Just thinking about finding those guys. And that's another thing that I will be doing more this year for my best ball. But speaking of Brees Hall, Brees Hall is a, not, he's not in this division we're going to talk about, but one of the top dynasty running backs right now. He was legitimately looking like he was going to get not just the early down work. He was going to take a lot of the passing down work from Michael Carter as well. He has that prototypical build you're looking for especially with an offense that wants to run the football and for the most part protect their bad quarterback situation now we're going to get into first thing your team that you represent that you're currently wearing a brave baltimore ravens hat we're going to talk about a little bit of dynasty in the afc north this started out as me wanting to ask him about the ravens and go down that road because i think the ravens have one of the most interesting offseason outlooks not just from a team perspective but for a dynasty perspective because there are some very interesting and lucrative pieces that we're all looking to see what's going to happen with them this offseason. And then that just kind of went from there and dominoed into the entire AFC North because structurally there's a lot of different things that can happen in the AFC North this offseason and into the future. So I'm very interested. We will start with the Ravens. And I, before we get into Lamar Jackson, I want to know how you feel about your, your team right now and how their offense going into next season structurally can look is you think it's gonna look different they're gonna try to get a different offensive coordinator um everything really because there's so many different things going on here i think i think the time is right for greg roman to move on and i think it makes a lot of sense for if the ravens really decide that they've got a franchise tag lamar and you know they can't come to an agreement going forward then it's time to see what lamar looks like under a different offensive coordinator because this year, Greg Roman was connected with a couple of college jobs and he could have chose to walk away anyway. So there's a point where it's like, yes, the fans aren't happy with Greg Roman. Yes, a lot of ex-players aren't happy with Greg Roman. But the team also needs to be giving themselves that kind of out of saying, OK, well, we need to see what Lamar looks like with a different offensive coordinator. And I mean, this is a global kind of takeaway for the team. Mm-hmm. A year ago, I thought it was unthinkable that Lamar wouldn't be on this team. I really thought the deal would get done last offseason, and then it didn't. I think it's really tricky for him with not having an agent to be able to spend time practicing and negotiating a tricky contract. So now, though, I think it's probably 50-50, maybe 55-45 in favour of that he plays this season on the tag. But... I do think that the Ravens have enough interesting pieces. So if you look at them, there's J.K. Dobbins, there's Mark Andrews. There's a really good offensive line there. You know, players like Isaiah Likely and Gus Edwards, little additional pieces. But if they got rid of Greg Roman and brought in a different offensive coordinator, somebody who thought a little more passing game centric, and then they brought mm-hmm. in a veteran quarterback, you know, it doesn't have to be the likes of Tom Brady. I'd prefer someone a little better than Derek Carr, but I think you could transition to a good passing offense quite easily with these pieces if needs be. So now that you brought up Lamar Jackson, I'm at the time we're recording this, 
we are expecting John Harbaugh to come today and talk. We haven't heard that yet. He's going to have a press conference today that has not been revealed to us. I imagine he's going to come out and say something to the effects of we expect Lamar Jackson to be our quarterback of the future, blah, 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 and commit to him until whatever happens, happens. I think if the plan is to, one, install a different offensive coordinator and look to move on from Lamar Jackson, if that if, again, this is a big if, I don't necessarily expect them to do this. So I know all you Ravens fans listening, I'm not expecting them to do this. But if it is, the franchise tag for Lamar makes the most sense because then you can trade him. Even if it's not tagging and trading him, you can trade him after this season. Let's say he has a healthy season under a new offensive coordinator that can show his passing prowess because I believe Lamar Jackson can throw the football very well as a top seven passing quarterback in the NFL. I do believe he can. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Like I do believe he can do it. Like I've seen it happen. The problem is he's throwing to guys like Demarcus Robinson. And Devin Duvernay and James Prochet. We're talking about a, a college-level talent of, of wide receivers. Rashad Bateman has been hurt both of the last two seasons. I want him to be healthy. Problem is, he's not. And you, you can't change the health of players. And when you have an offense that's actually been built around Lamar Jackson's legs, it does not afford him the opportunity to showcase what he can do in a real passing offense. So people say, well, guess what? His offense, his passing is set up on the fact that he runs the football. But if they just let him let him showcase that he can do that, if, again, if the plan is to move on, let him showcase for a year behind a real offense coordinator that's going to build a passing game around him, bring in some weapons, let him an opportunity just to do that. I think that you're going to not only maximize what you do, you're also going to be able to install a structure in your team going forward that you can now bring in that that maybe draft a guy later in the round or, or bring in a veteran quarterback and then move on with the offensive structure there. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. And it really, the season fell apart when Rashad Bateman went down. And yeah. The, yeah. the team obviously decided that Roquan Smith was a bigger need than one, any of the wide receivers who were available. And you look at the defense, they completely transformed once Roquan Smith was there. So that was probably a fair assumption to make. But the answer they had was picking up guys like Andy Isabella and putting them on the practice squad. Sean <laughs> Jackson, Sammy Watkins, like, what the are we doing? <laughs> and, you know, Lamar, his fantasy production, it just created without Bateman. Mm-hmm. It went from, like, 26 points per game down to 17. And, obviously, part of that is inflated by those really big games before mm-hmm. um, at the very start of the season when he was on a real elite pace. But it just showed that, once Bateman wasn't out there, that defenses really didn't have to pay any respect to the offense that the Ravens were putting out there and could try and key in on Mark Andrews, who went for a slump of his own when he had injuries. He went from averaging 14 points with Lamar down to nine without. And it just became very hard for this offense to function. It was it was a tough ask for everybody. You had not just those injuries, your offensive the offensive line in Baltimore are going through multiple different injuries. I think that they're overall going to be all right going forward. But the offensive line in front of a J.K. Dobbins, who's dealing with his own injury stuff, is not a situation you want to be in. You have a quarterback who's banged up, a bunch of running backs who are banged up, an offensive line who's banged up. We're talking about like you know, Rashad Bateman, the injuries. They feel like the, the Chargers right now in terms of the injuries that they've been dealing with over the past couple of seasons. I don't know what's, you know, in the water there. But, you know, J.K. Dobbins, 
earlier in the season, there was the video that went viral about the limp. You know, what was it a limp? Was it not? He comes out and says it wasn't a limp, and then he gets hurt again and has to go on IR. Well, um, I, I don't know whether it was or not. I'm not a I'm not a physician. Um, I'm gonna trust that maybe he knew more about his body than people on Twitter did. But at the end of the day, he did end up getting hurt again. Coming back from that injury, that playoff game he just played against the Bengals. He was probably about 85, 90% of what he was. He looked good. He, he could take some of those angles to the outside. The catch for the touchdown that he had was an impressive, just an impress. I just, I just crossbred impressive and, and incredible, by the way. So that's a new <laughs> word. Impressive is now a word <laughs> that we're going to use. Um, how are you feeling about J.K. Dobbins going forward? Do you think he's going to be the guy? Really promising. I mean, yeah. So he had his knee scoped again to remove scar tissue, which is apparently mm -hmm. what had led to the kind of limp that he'd been dealing okay. with in the early season. And when he came back, yeah, he couldn't open it up like he used to be able to. And we saw it in a couple of those long runs that the speed wasn't quite there. And he probably would have taken a couple of those to the house if he had. But between weeks 14 to 17, he led the league in rushing yards with 397 yards. He had seven yards per carry, which is just astounding That's over ridiculous. a four-game period. Yeah. <laughs> And he led the league in big runs with seven. So even though the speed wasn't all the way back, he was jump cutting to such a high level mm -hmm. that he was opening up space to be able to get open. And then he just couldn't finish him off. But Gus Edwards, he's only got one more year on his deal. He'll be 28 years old by the time the next season rolls around. So perhaps they move on and look to pick someone younger up in the draft. But I have to imagine that J.K. Dobbins could be in for a big season next year, which will be a contract year for him. I just I'm I look back at the playoff game. All right. And I understand the quarterback sneak with two and a half or a yard and a half to get whatever it was that he needed to. How do you not run him at, at all? I, I think that he's in the in the playoff game, he looked his best throughout the season. I think that was pretty obvious. He didn't see a carry, I don't, I don't think, inside the five, and he has made some bones about that. So that's this probably where we're at with the offensive coordinator. Like no one likes what's going on. Exactly. That's it. That's the problem with Greg Roman. Too often when things are working, he goes away from them too quickly. There'll be games where the Ravens are passing the ball really well and he just reverts to the, to the run or vice versa. And here, yeah, you rested J.K. Dobbins in week 18 and then you gave him mm -hmm. 13 runs in a playoff game. It's <laughs> mind-blowing. And when you've got the, this offensive line, one of the best things they do is the pulls and moves yes, to absolutely. confuse players. And they can open up space so easily that, yeah, to be having... And the Ravens have been having trouble in red zone for the last couple of months now, ever since Lamar went out and slightly before that as well. And it just needs a fresh approach. Absolutely. I want to see J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson with an offensive coordinator that's going to, you know, scheme to their strengths and let these guys open up. Tyler Linderbaum, their center, is an, a little bit of an undersized center. What's the one thing that he's best at doing, especially inside the five? Getting out and moving. Get a little, get it moving. These get these guys moving a little bit. Like they're a really athletic group up front inside the five. Let them move a little bit. I don't, I don't understand. But we, we won't spend too much time on the schematics of what's going on with the Ravens' offense in the red zone. I we talked a little bit about, about Rashad Bateman. I think that he's. I do believe an offensive coordinator change is coming. I absolutely believe it. So I think that he's going to be on on the up look. Isaiah Likely, we, we touched on him a little bit. I he was one of the guys that I've. I loved coming out. He was my tight end one in last in last year's draft class. And he's kind of a, an NFL tweener. He's not going to do much blocking, 
you can't really say he's a wide receiver, but he is a mismatch as a tight end, and we know Baltimore loves to use tight ends. I want I want them to focus a little bit more on getting him the ball in space. He's a very good athlete in space, and one of the things that I think the Ravens didn't do enough of was making him a focal point of the passing game when you have guys like James Prochet, Devin Duvernay, and Demarcus Robinson. What Do you know, like, how do you feel about Isaiah Likely going forward in Baltimore? Yeah, I think, I mean, he had an incredible training camp, an incredible rookie mm-hmm. mini camp, and it seemed like he was going to take a leap. And then in the first two games, I think he had something like nine targets in the first two games, or it was something quite high. And he dropped a couple of them. There were a couple where the connection between him and Lamar wasn't quite right. And it seemed after then that they kind of reined things in a little bit. They reduced his targets per game down like two, three, mm-hmm. and really weren't utilizing a lot. And then it was by the time that he got going and seemed to get his confidence back, it was the end of the season. As much as I like him, I think next off season, Charlie Kohler, who they drafted ahead of Isaiah Likely, is going to be healthy and will probably end up taking some snaps and being involved. We saw that in week 18, he was getting quite a bit of play there and the team will likely want to make a good job of using him. So, I really liked Isaiah Likely this year. I'm a little skeptical that he's going to turn into fantasy gold next year. All right. So what you're saying is you want to sell high because I've got uh, Keep Trade Cut pulled up and is for a dynasty tight end ranking. He's currently tight end 16, just think, behind yeah. Trey McBride. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, if you could get Trey McBride and a little something, then uh, <laughs> that's not bad because – wow. I mean, Trey McBride's in a situation where Zach Ertz could retire and could end up with a lot bigger role, depending on what the mm-hmm. head coach is who comes in there. So uh, I really like Isaiah Likely. I've got him on a lot of dynasty teams. But, yeah, it's probably not a bad time to move a couple of shares of him on. Yeah, he's in front of guys like Daniel Bellinger, who's going to be a focal point in that offense, by the way. Even Dawson Knox, who, yeah, he's not going to be a consistent week-to-week guy. But look, the last five games, he scored five touchdowns, five, six touchdowns. He's going to be a, he's going to score more points than Isaiah Likely. So, yeah, I think that I'm probably with you, especially seeing where he's at right now in those rankings. That uh, if you've got Isaiah Likely and someone is excited about what he could be, like I was before this podcast, um, you could probably get a little bit out of him. Um, but yeah, make sure you guys are paying attention to what the Baltimore Ravens are doing um, throughout this offseason. A lot of systematic changes could be coming, and some players like Bateman Dobbins could end up maybe right now as a buy low for you and turn in some nice relative value. Let's go over and head on to the Cleveland Browns because I think that both the Bengals and Steelers are really interesting, but the Browns are an unknown in this entire division. Deshaun Watson, this week, this year, we have to talk about Deshaun Watson. He is now the quarterback fully. There's no more Jacoby Brissett, even though he operated the offense better than Watson did. But lots of rust kicking off for him as a player. I think he started to look a little, little bit better towards the end of the season. Is this a guy that you're targeting in terms of a trade asset this offseason? Because we do know, I expect after two years off him to just kind of figure it out again. The offensive line's good. Kevin Stefanski's still there. Amari Cooper, they have all the pieces for their their offense will be there next year. So is he someone you're looking to target this offseason? He's not for me. And part of that is who he is as a person and all that. Like I find, you know, I'm I'm not trying to 
preach to what people should do or anything like that, but I find it quite difficult accepting yeah. him as a player for what he's done and stuff. But also, I think most people who've got Deshaun Watson have been hanging on to him for a long time. The people who bought low on him and have held through the dips and when he, you know, might have been waiting to sell him at a point when he came back and then he came back and stunk, which mm-hmm. was something which felt, in my eyes, felt predictable. You don't just walk into an NFL season like deep in November after two divisional years. matchups against teams you've never played against outside yeah. in the cold of Cleveland mm-hmm. and suddenly just pick up like never before. I was always a bit surprised by people who thought that would be the case. And But at the heart of their argument was always he's a really talented player and I do think he is a really talented player and I do think he'll get back to that. He's going to have a much more normal off-season this year. Last year it was spent going between the courts and waiting for a suspension and then waiting for a trade, all those kind of things. So I imagine that the team will work hard because they've got to, because they paid him yeah. an abhorrent amount of money and <laughs> they'll oh, have to try. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine that he'll be an interesting choice. It'll be interesting to see where he goes in drafts. For me, I'm not sure I'd take him any earlier than sort of QB7, QB8 in mm-hmm. best ball drafts. No, definitely not. It's it's hard to know, especially with you know a run-first offense in Cleveland. We know Nick Chubb's not going to go anywhere. And they eventually do still want to run a two type of running back system. I think Kareem Hunt's gone after this year. I believe he's a free agent. So you're looking probably at a guy like Jerome Ford, who was drafted from Cincinnati, funny enough, to this offseason to play for Cleveland. He'll probably be the backup to Nick Chubb. And Deshaun Watson, for everything that he is off the field, on the field, uh, talent-wise, he's a top five quarterback when he's at his peak. Is he ever going to get back? I don't, know. I don't do, know. Do you think? Do you think it's fair to say that he's a top five quarterback still? Because I think sometimes we're kind of we're looking back at when he was a top five quarterback, and since then you've seen guys like Joe Burrow come along. We've seen Jalen Hurts step up into there in terms of fantasy yeah. points wise. Justin Fields is probably now in that top five. So for me, that's kind of where I I hesitate to call him. So I kind of think he falls into that kind of like I take him around like round seven, round eight, round nine in best ball drafts. And in Dynasty, I always feel like his price is just a little more expensive than I want to pay because mm-hmm. I think you're still paying for that reputation when I think other people have maybe surpassed him. I don't disagree. I just – and it's not so much a memory. It's That's why I said at his peak because yeah. I don't know if he's ever going to get there. It's, it's hard to replicate your peak because it, for guys like Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields, there are still elements of reading a defense – and this is getting away from Dynasty for a little bit, but there are still elements of reading a defense that Sean Watson showed in his first two seasons. Like He did those things, and that's why I, I say at his peak, because he does add that rushing element that they do as well. He's not as good of a rusher as Jalen Hurts or as uh, Justin Fields is. Justin Fields is credible, by the way, guys. He's so good. <laughs> if he ever figures out how to fully read an NFL defense, he's, he's talking <laughs> most, probably multiple Quarterback one finishes, uh, he could just be incredible. Maybe get some weapons around him. But yeah, that's why I try to preface it with saying at his peak, Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, is a top five quarterback. I don't know. I don't think he'll ever get back to that. Like that's, I want to pull up where he, first of all, where he's at in terms of just the dynasty rankings for quarterbacks, because this is tells you a little bit of something. Deshaun Watson is currently at, ranked as the quarterback 11. He's 27 years old. Okay. That's where. The problem comes. You take two years off of football, you're 27 years old now, and you're back into a rushing-based offense. 
I, and quarterback 11 still feels a little too high for me. I, I, I think, and I know Tua is right behind him. You know, Daniel, funny, Daniel Jones is right behind him. Um, Daniel Jones has been making himself some money this offseason, this postseason, and uh, moving up the ranks. Might be a sell-high candidate. But he's in this murky area of Tua, Trey Lance, even Kenny Pickett's right there, too. Like, Dak's right in front of Deshaun, Kyler there, too. So it's a very murky area for Deshaun Watson. And until he shows that he can play close to the level he was at before he left, it, it's hard to really value him where he's being taken, like you said, around those pots and drafts and at quarterback 11. It's a it's a really tough thing for me. So uh, is he ever going to get back to that point? I don't know. Is the structure in Cleveland built to let him get back there? I don't think so. So that's where you have to really make those trade-offs. And, and one of the players that is going to be part of the offense, we assume, uh, for the first time finally ever in his career, Javid Njoku has kind of broke out finally as a tight end last year. Everyone's like, well, he didn't, he couldn't do it before. Why can he do it now? They made a true commitment to him. And Harrison Bryant is a fine tight end. He, he can't do anything close to what David Njoku can do. So do you think he's going to not just have this flash in the pan season, do you think he can be a stable part of this offense? I think so, um, because he's clearly so much more talented than Harrison Bryant. Mm -hmm. I think he didn't seem to be on the same page with Watson in the same way that he did with Jacoby Brissett. Absolutely. He, aver yeah, he averaged 10.8 PPR points with Brissett, and that dropped by three points. That's 7.8 with Watson. 7.8 points at tight end is doing absolutely nothing for your mm -hmm. team. Like that's yep. that's a headache and you're playing a player week in, week out because of the higher ceiling that he's displayed earlier on. But his 5.8 targets per game with ninth most among tight ends and at a position where things can get pretty miserable pretty fast, there's a lot to be said for a player who is seeing <laughs> the ball often. So yeah. uh, I'll be a little wary of him this year in terms of what his redraft best ball price is. But I think for Dynasty, I mean, I, I remember buying him for like a third round pick a year ago, and that's paid off handsomely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right now, he's currently valued as the tight end nine on Keep Trade Cook and Dynasty. He's 26 and a half years old. He's still like he's entering his prime. That's it's beautiful. So I, I know that the connection issues with Deshaun Watson probably more because he practiced all offseason with Jacoby Brissett. And, and when you're that part of the offense, and Jacoby was a very good operator of the offense, he knew how to get in the football. I, I like David Njoku, the athletic ability. He's really more of a wide receiver in that offense, and it really shows on the field. So at quarter, excuse me, at tight, tight end nine, 26 years old, or he's going to be 27 <laughs> at the start of the season. I'm all in on taking some, some shots on that guy. He's going to be some fun. Speaking of wide receivers, like, we're not going to talk about Nick Chubb because we all know what Nick Chubb is. Like We all know exactly what he is. He's the best rusher in football. They don't throw him the football. He is what he is. <laughs> like, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, Amari Cooper was one of the talks of the offseason with the low trade value that the, the Dallas Cowboys got back. And he turned into, I think he finished the season as a wide receiver one, maybe not in points per game. Uh, but he was fringe wide receiver one this year and she was huge value for your teams and then donovan people's jones was another diamond in the rough later in drafts who really had some stable value for this team as a deep threat scoring touchdowns and getting some big plays are these guys for real in this offense like i'm having trouble a little bit more with donovan people's jones for obvious reasons now mari cooper is an excellent route runner always has been the touchdowns were there for him this year so i'm trying to measure if i think that those are going to be more stable for him in cleveland or is this just a 
while Jacoby Brissett had a really good connection with him early and it didn't happen afterward. Yeah, I think the frustrating part with Mari Cooper is these home and away splits are so noticeable and it wasn't always the case, but there'd just be games where it seemed really difficult to start him to the point where it'd be like, I'd be writing my DFS column and I'd be like, oh, Mari Cooper's on the road. Might as well take a look more <laughs> into him. That seems, yep, we'll play him. But he almost broke his career high in receiving yards, which for a player who's been as fantastic as Amari Cooper's been at times throughout his career is really impressive. You know, it's seven games with 15-plus points, so there was yeah. a lot of good there, and some of it did come with Deshaun Watson. I do think Amari Cooper is probably stuck in Cleveland for at least another couple of years. The way that his contract was structured to get him into Cleveland, the Cowboys ate a lot of money, and... Maybe he wangles for some more guarantees at some point, but I can't see him not being the focal point of a passing game next year. Donovan mm-hmm. Peoples-Jones, I mean, he was incredible. I mentioned him earlier. He was like best ball gold, and yep. there was a string of DFS weeks again where you just had to start him because eight of his first 10 games, he had 50 or more receiving yards in them. He finished inside the top 36 10 times. This is a player you could probably have picked up for a fourth-round pick in Dynasty last year. Yeah. And nobody wants them. And I know a lot of us playing these kind of deep leagues where you start in three or four wide receivers if you include flex positions. Mm-hmm. That's incredible value for a player who nobody expected that from. I think what the Browns need to do is just really probably find another good running back if it's not Jerome Ford, decide how run heavy they're going to be and then figure out from there what they're doing at wide receiver. Because they do have David Bell, who missed time this year, and he's probably more of a slot receiver than an outside receiver. Mm -hmm. And perhaps there's room for DPJ to stay as that wide receiver two, wide receiver three on a near every down sort of role. Yeah, and you look at he's 24 years old. I think that we forget Donovan Peoples Jones has been in the league for three years already. He's still 24 years old, and I can't, I, it's hard to, to wrap my head around how young he still is. And right now, he's the wide receiver 45 on Keep Trade Cut, just, just behind Juju Smith Schuster and just in front of Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers is, un, I'll tell you right now, this is off topic, undervalued. He is undervalued. He's, he's not going to be in, in New, New England next year. Go get him. Go get him right now. Just this is some off-topic like advice. Go get him. Um, but I like Donovan Peoples Jones there at that spot. I think that I do think with him, David Bell, who I do believe is going to be that slot receiver, and Amari Cooper, who's thirty, the wide receiver thirty-two over here at age twenty-eight. He's going to be twenty-nine by the time the season starts. So you have a nice young-ish wide receiver core in Cleveland. And if and if Deshaun Watson can get anywhere near around where he was playing before this that's why this offense is so interesting to talk about because i do think that if he gets to that point stefanski might be a little bit more lenient to maybe go away from the run a little bit because why why trade for deshaun watson if you're still going to be run heavy all the time trying to always run on whenever you can there's no reason not to do if he can get back to that so that's why this offense is so interesting to me and i just i want i I want Donovan Peoples Jones to be something because I was I'm a Michigan fan and he played at Michigan and I just I was like always thinking he could be more than he was at Michigan. Granted, he's been the exact same in the NFL, but I, I'm always gonna <laughs> I'm always gonna hope he could get better. Um, and that's why for me at least this offense is so interesting. So now that the Browns, we could get that out of the way. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. This is. 
so people are going to be a lot really hot and cold on Kenny Pickett. We'll get to Kenny Pickett. Deontay Johnson this year had some of the highest volume for a wide receiver in the league. Did not score a touchdown. Do you think he's coming back to Pittsburgh, especially with the news that Matt Canada is coming back as the offensive coordinator? I think if it, if we were in a world where Chase Claypool hadn't been traded, then perhaps it would be easier to imagine Deontay Johnson not coming back. Right now, obviously, the Steelers own the Bears' second-round pick, which is mm-hmm. the 32nd pick. It's the equivalent of a first-round pick in any other draft. And so we have to kind of see what they do. And the Steelers... They never struggle to find wide receivers that they can turn into fantastic players. But I do think that Deontay Johnson will be back next year. I mean, what was positive for anyone who wants to believe in Deontay Johnson (laughs) is the fact that he he was sixth in targets across the league. He was 11th in catches. It was just the yardage, 26th Mm -hmm. in receiving yardage and no touchdowns. So... They can cut him, and it'll cost them very little money. I think it's like $4 million against the cap if they designate it as a post-June 1st cut. Okay. But I also think that Deontay Johnson could be someone that's prime for positive touchdown regression next Absolutely. year. You look at his career, and obviously these are with Ben Roethlisberger. So he had five touchdowns, seven touchdowns, eight touchdowns, and then zero this year. This time last year, we were talking about Miles Sanders, who had zero yep. touchdowns. And now look at him this year. He was undervalued by us. And instead, we should have been saying, okay, right now he's slightly cheaper than we might expect. And if he gets four, five touchdowns next year, which isn't an absurd amount, then he'll probably really pay off with those kind of catches and the volume of uh, targets that he gets. Yeah, I think I'm a, people are going to be like I was a little bit earlier. Like I had a lot of Deontay Johnson. I had a lot. And you're going to feel burned. Sometimes you, you this is not a personal thing dynasty fantasy football is not personal you get burned by a guy that doesn't mean you never draft him again okay it doesn't mean you ever you you don't trade for him i think that he's a really nice buy low opportunity he's currently where is he at he's currently wide receiver 31 he is 26 and a half years old he'll be 27 next year again if he stays in pittsburgh that volume is going to be there that volume is going to stay it's going to stay they're not going to just bring in a guy to replace him and we know that kenny pickett has a, a special connection with George Pickens, who um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to, but Deontay Johnson is easily, in my opinion, primed for some positive touchdown progression. And just because he burned me this year doesn't mean I'm, I'm probably going to have more of him next year than I had of him this year. I can, I can almost promise you that because of what you said, not just the touchdown progression, but the numbers, the volume is there. And when you have a season with no touchdowns, it's just, it's unlikely. It's unlikely that that's going to happen. So just even though if, however you feel about Kenny Pickett, it's going to be there. The ball will get to him. Najee Harris is fine, but they clearly showed that they want to scale him back a little bit, but you know, how, how do you feel about Kenny Pickett? His first season last year, a lot of people are bad quarterback draft, and he was a first-round draft pick still. So the, the Pittsburgh Steelers have committed a, a little bit to him in the regards of saying, Mitch Trubisky, you're done. We're going to give the, the QB job to Pickett. How do you feel? The Steelers didn't do any favors to Kenny Pickett with when they started him. They <laughs> yeah. threw him in with a really tough run of games. And what they could have done was to – even, really, they should have started him from the beginning of the season. Absolutely. I'm not sure what they got from learning anything about Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> the Steelers weren't going to, even if they'd gotten into the playoffs this season, they didn't have 
the kind of team that was going to make a deep run mm -hmm. with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. So I just find it difficult not to say, well, right, now's the time that we need to really look at Kenny Pickett. And obviously Mike Tomlin knows more about football than me, and I'm sure he had his reasons. <laughs> but as the season went on and we saw Kenny Pickett get better and better, he did have some really nice games along, like down the stretch. And I think that although he wasn't great for fantasy, there were moments where... Deontay Johnson was good for fantasy, same for yeah. George Pickens. So I'll be in on him next year. I know my co-host on Fantasy Sanctuary, Rich Cooling, he's very high on him. This was before the news about Matt Canada coming back had broken, so <laughs> perhaps he's a little lower on him now. But he was a week ago saying that Kenny Pickett was one of the best dynasty buys that you could find right now. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that because I liked what I saw from him. And first-year quarterbacks – historically don't necessarily know the entire offense they really don't and when you can get the target share that you have between these two guys that are trusted players you add pat fryermuth who i think is a really nice player he's not an elite tight end by any stretch but he's going to be a guy to to add to your teams as well that can get you week to week value i just like with a structure and i think that mike tomlin does a nice job of assimilating offensive players even though he's really more of a defensive guy they want to win by defense he might not be the best fantasy quarterback yet tomorrow or next year i do think he could be it's all going to really depend on this next jump that he takes and with that comes a little bit of the run game do you this this past season we saw that the the workhorse mentality from you know Najee harris be kind of disappeared and then this last half maybe month of the season we started to see him get a little bit better would you attribute that to what they did with him and warren and being more of a, a two running back system, keeping him fresher this season, so he's better throughout the last part of the season? I think that's definitely part of it, and part of it with the injury issues that he had in training camp. Like We're at the time of year now where we're starting to hear, oh, player X played through this injury, and it yeah. wouldn't be at all surprising if Najee Harris is one of these players who ends up having surgery right about now, and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, last year I was never really healthy. But Jalen Warren completely earned the bigger role that he mm -hmm. got. He took that. like He had 4.8 yards per carry, which was a full yard more than Najee Harris had at 3.83 yards per carry. Jalen Warren had a better catch rate, 86% compared to Harris's 76%. So he really took his opportunity and carved it out, and he probably deserves to be rostered in all dynasty formats going forward as one of the best handcuffs around because if anything happened to Najee Harris, you'd imagine he'd pick up a very large role. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that maybe you could put some feelers out, third third round picks for Jalen Warren because, you know, I don't think it's it's reasonable to assume you can get a second for him because he's not mm -hmm. going to be valuable enough to really earn that. So some feelers can be thrown out for a guy like Jalen Warren. And like you said, one of the most valuable handcuffs in the NFL with that workhorse possibility if it were ever to have the injury. Um, I don't know, man. Najee Harris has never been a guy for me. I'm yeah. I'm just not a fan of Najee Harris. I know that he was a first-round running back for the Steelers. Um, just Jeff. Jeff so Alita. what? It uh, doesn't yeah. matter. People <laughs> always want to talk about it. Like, will they put a first? I don't care. Running yeah. back, it don't matter. It does not matter. I mean, the yeah. Chiefs are playing Isaiah Pacheco right now. Granted, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is just coming off the injury, um, injury reserve this week. But it doesn't matter. They started him before he got hurt. Like, yeah. Don't matter. And the problem with Najee Harris as well was it was always pretty clear that last year the offensive line was going to be enough of an issue that mm -hmm. it was going to hamper things. 
but he got past that because he had 94 targets. Yes. It was clear when Ben Roethlisberger retired that that wasn't going to continue. No rookie quarterback is coming in. Mitch Trubisky is not throwing 94 times <laughs> to Najee Harris. And that plummeted almost by half down to 53. And when you take that sort of like nine points, five points away a game, that's that's the difference between being a top 10 running back and being an RB2. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with the I, I was one of the people completely talking against Naj, taking Najah Harris in the first round. Just don't do it. You 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 can't you can't count on that kind of stuff. So this George Pickens guy, this is one of the more polarizing guys to talk about in especially for rookie draft pick last year and, and going into this dynasty assets. I want to know what your opinion on the player before we get to the dynasty aspect. What do you think what you saw from last year from George Pickens is more because he's just that good of a player or just good at the one thing, making spectacular catches? I think with George Pickens, it's big plays rather than big scores so far in his career. And he's clearly very good at these catches and he's clearly Obviously. a very skilled player. But yeah, he had six games over 14 points, but none over 19. So he never gave you a weak winning. So you'd be sat at home watching Red Zone. Oh, the Steelers come on. George Pickens <laughs> makes a 30-yard catch downfield. And you're just like, wow, excellent. you got to check your fantasy team. And it's like, he's got two catches for 35 yards. And that's it for the day. <laughs> he he did have a really impressive season in uh, you know, the fourth most receiving yards as a rookie. He had 11 deep receptions, which was four more than any other. So that was clearly a part of the game, which this yo-yo quarterback tandem of Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett both felt comfortable targeting him mm -hmm. downfield. If they can develop him into other areas of the passing chart, then he could really explode next year. But I worry that he's going to be overdrafted in best ball to the point where he'll be seen as the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. And if that happens, I'll take the discount on Deontay Johnson, definitely for best ball. As far as Dynasty, I think most people who have George Pickens, it's a bit of a cult thing and everybody loves yeah. him and nobody's going to be looking to sell him right now. You're absolutely right. George Pickens' like owners are just... They're like, no, no, give me two first round. No, you can't get two first round picks for this guy. Like right now he's currently valued as the wide receiver 21 on keep trade cut. I think that that's a little high for me in front of Chris Godwin, Traylon Burks, which uh, you can make the argument. I would have rather have Jerry Judy over, uh, over him. Who's below him. Michael Pittman's below him. DJ Moore is below him guys that are more experienced in the league and a little bit better all around. I think I'd rather have than George Pickens. And I'll, I'll tell you guys right now, I know that there's a lot of charts going around about his success getting open. That's, that's not true. Okay. Those are his, his catches in those on running those routes. Okay. That's not him getting open and being wide open. It's not a, a matter of him getting open. He's not the best guy getting open in Pittsburgh. He's a mediocre route runner coming from someone who studied his film and who's still seen him in Pittsburgh do this. There's a reason he's running a ton of nine routes down the field and getting a ton of contested catches because it's what he's extremely good at for these rookie wide receivers. You want to put them in the best position for them to feel comfortable. And George Pickens feels comfortable dunking on dudes down the field. That's what he feels and blocking and just pushing guys to the ground. Those are two things he's really good at doing. So I would love to see him this offseason take, go with Deontay Johnson. 
and run a ton of routes and learn to create some separation, some five-yard slants and things like that over the middle of the field. I'd love to see that happen. So I'm I'm not there with George Pickens yet. This, this season will, will be the selling point for me. It absolutely will be. If he can come in with that mentality to get better as a route runner and be a true number one, yeah. I'm all in. I'm all in on, on George Pickens. And now we get to the theoretical best team in the AFC North and the Cincinnati Bengals. And this is a lot of people have talked about, well, hey, you have to pay Joe Burrow. You've got to pay Jamar Chase. You've got to pay T. Higgins. you got to you know, figure out Joe Mixon. Are they going to be able to keep everyone together after not just this season, but down the line? I think they can do. I think, you know, they've got enough cap space. And if you can backload a couple of the deals and then frontload one or two and work things out that way, there's ways you can do it. I guess it just depends on whether T. Higgins wants to stay in Cincinnati mm-hmm. and always be the wide receiver too, or whether he sees himself as a wide receiver one. I mean, yeah, we've not heard any sounds of discontent from him. But look back a year ago at this time, and we, you know, we saw so many wide receivers all of a sudden kick off as soon as it got to the offseason. You had Debo holding out. At one point, DK Metcalf was yep. chirping. And then you had AJ Brown who was traded. Tyree Kill was traded. So it feels a little crazy to just say, okay, T. Higgins is going to be happy there because he likes what he's got around him. I think that the Bengals aren't a good organization when it comes to paying players and looking mm. after players, but they're slowly learning the error of their ways. And I think their fans would absolutely riot if they didn't make every effort <laughs> they can to sign these players long-term. Yeah. I think getting Joe Burrow kind of changed their mind a little bit. They're like, Hey, we finally have a quarterback. Like that can change the dynamic of an organization. It completely can. And they're like, okay, well we want to keep this guy happy. The problem is that I believe, I think everyone kind of understands T Higgins feels he's the number one receiver. And he's not going to, one, get the target share a number one wide receiver will. He's probably not going to get paid like Jamar Chase will. Um, so we'll see what happens when that time comes. I think you, I think they can start talking about contracts this offseason with him. So those will be interesting, to say the, to say the very least. The run game is where I'm like, whatever. They, they finally figured out how to run the football this year out of under center, or excuse me, out of shotgun, which is uh, – Hats off, Zach. Tell you, figured it out. I'm, I'm proud of you, man. Figure finally figuring that out. Um, Mixon's a good running back. They shouldn't be paying him. They, they shouldn't do it. Uh, they should move on. They should be drafting a running back, and that's my opinion. And I will stick to it. Um, Hayden Hurst, interesting. Um, you know him, obviously, very a close friend of the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens. Um, I don't let me. I don't know his age right off the top of my hat, but I'll ask you. What do you think? Do you think he's going to be a because he's not been like a hugely productive player. He's been more of a, you get a couple of games out of him where you can start him, especially in, in redraft and in dynasty. How do you feel about him as a, a structural part of this offense in this, in this team right now going forward? Yeah, well, Hayden Hurst, he's 29 years old. He came into the league late because he, he was a professional in baseball leagues yeah. and, flunked out of them before he went back to college and then came through the Ravens where then Mark Andrews exploded. So, I mean, I do like Hayden Hurst. He's a, he's an incredible person. There's a lot for mental health, really strong advocate mm-hmm. of that. And I think he's someone to root for. With that said, there isn't enough of a role for him in this offense for him to be somebody that I would ever target. He had two touchdowns all season. And when you're competing with the likes of Joe Mixon, Smadgy P. Ryan, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, 
that's an awful lot of mouths to feed. It's very difficult for Hurst to really become a constant weapon, even in the red zone then. Mm-hmm. And we see it with these kind of uh, tight ends, but if they're not putting up touchdowns, it's very much like Dawson Knox. When they're not scoring touchdowns, yeah. they're pretty worthless. In the games without touchdowns, Hayden Hurst averaged 7.1 PPR points. Two-thirds of his games this season, he had single-digit fantasy points. That's, again, much like David and Joku over those weeks with Deshaun Watson. That kind of performance kills you. You need somebody with a ceiling. And I can't imagine a ceiling game for Hayden Hurst, what it looks like, without two touchdowns. I can't ever imagine him having eight catches for 93 yards or something like that because he just doesn't seem to be involved like that. I do think he's the kind of player that the Bengals should make an effort to re-sign because as long as he's willing to do it on the right price, there's a lot of tight ends out there who are a lot worse than Hayden Hurst mm-hmm. and ones who are better players like Dalton Schultz, TJ Hawkinson, if he doesn't re-sign with the Vikings, they're going to cost substantially more. And as we talked about already, the Bengals have got enough players that we need to pay top dollar for as it is. Absolutely. And when it comes to tight ends, we know the landscape sucks. It's trash. Unless you have Travis Kelsey... Like it's it's kind of a crapshoot week to week. There were two other tight ends that scored over twenty or two hundred points this year total. There was only one that averaged over fifteen points a game. It was Travis Kelsey. Everyone else is thirteen and under. <clears throat> and when you look at, I'm just I know most people talk about points per game, but when you look at total points from tight end seven, Pat Fryermuth, one hundred and forty eight, to Hayden Hurst, tight end twenty, one hundred five. We're talking about forty points separating seven. To 20. That's how close it is between these guys and how valuable, like you talked about, touchdowns are. If you're not getting touchdowns, you, you're not going to be valuable. And while I think that Hayden Hurst has some value in that offense, specifically in a few years, if T. Higgins isn't there, then we're talking about a little bit more of a target share and touchdown upside for him. But it's just, it's tough right now with the tight end landscape to say, yeah, I, I feel okay about what Hayden Hurst did this year. Cause I mean, at any other week, you could be talking about Greg Dolchish. You can be talking about all these other younger players that are going to be taking and getting more PPR points than he does. Exactly. Players with more upside. And I think perhaps you can build in an upside case for if mm. the Bengals decide to move on from Tyler Boyd, then yeah, maybe, maybe Hayden Hurst can take a step forward. But Tyler Boyd wasn't commanding a good target share this year. Like he, mm-hmm. he only had two weeks inside the top 20, 10 games outside the top 30. And like Hayden Hurst, he had seven games where he had single digit points. So really all that volume is just going to T chase and then to the running backs. It just seems very difficult for anyone else to be reliable for fantasy right now. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I I also like Hayden Hurst. I drafted a good amount of him this year. I was able to start him in some key spots. But other than that, he was basically just a roster clogger and a tight end. There's a lot of those around. (laughs) I want to end on this this last question because I believe it's true. Do Do you think that Joe Burrow can get better than how he's playing right now? Well, we've seen two seasons now where... Joe Burrow has been healthy for the entirety of it. And it just feels like right now we can pencil him in for 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns or more each season. Mm -hmm. So I think there's definitely the chance where he can take a leap. Let's not forget that this, this offensive line in Cincinnati was supposed to be fixed, but it's still a problem. 
I think that there's a ceiling case where Zach Taylor suddenly becomes less conservative at times and yeah. opens things up. So, yeah, I do think I think that even though Joe Burrow doesn't rush the ball even as much as Patrick Mahomes, I think there's a world where his ceiling seasons can be as high as Patrick Mahomes can be. And before this year, I wouldn't have taken him in the top five quarterbacks in best ball drafts. But now I'm kind of at that point where when you look at some of the uncertainty with some of the rushing quarterbacks, I think it's fine to say, okay, Joe Burrow is just going to be a constant. Um, We know what his median outcome is. It's probably 4,000 yards and 33 touchdowns or something like that. And I'd be completely all right with that. Exactly. I think that now we have, you know, like you said, two years of consistent top five production. He was the top, a quarterback four in points per game this year at 21.9, just behind, not just behind, but behind Patrick Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts. Those are guys that have some rushing touchdown upside. Mahomes, the lesser of the three of those, because that's just not where he wins. He can, he chooses not to, uh, but it's, it's a really nice thing for Joe Burrow because he's shown specifically at times this year that he's more willing now that he's fully healthy two years removed from that injury to take some more chances running the football a little bit there. It does help his upside, but what keeps that, that floor for Joe Burrow is that he's like I said, going to throw 4,500 yards a year and get 33 touchdowns. It's almost automatic, especially with the offense that they've built around there. And yes, he can get better. He can get so much better. The offensive line right now is, is in tatters. They've got three different injuries. But we've seen a peak Joe Burrow this year with the good offensive line and the weapons they have. Th- this guy could literally be the number one quarterback in fantasy, depending on a few swings of the rushing quarterbacks. Uh, dep- you know, They have to get a little bit of luck that way because Jalen Hurts you know, has 13 rushing touchdowns this year. Joe Burrow's never going to do that. Like He's never going to do that, uh, but I think within the realm of possibilities is Joe Burrow's ceiling could could end up being somewhere close to that. Do you, you agree? Oh, definitely, yeah. I think, I think any arguments against Joe Burrow and that last year was a fluke and now in tatters and that until we see otherwise, this is Joe Burrow that we can count on. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, uh, Tom. I, it was great insight. Love going through the AFC North with you. Uh, let everyone know once again where they can find you, what you're working on right now. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at NFL underscore T-Strack, which is T-S-T-R-A-C-K. A lot going on. I'm writing a lot for Fantasy Pros and Football Outsiders at the minute. I've also started my own YouTube channel, which is a mix of Dynasty, Best Ball, Redraft, DFS, all that kind of stuff. Doing a lot of work in the run-up to the draft. That's called the Fantasy Football Sanctuary. You can find us on Twitter at the FF Sanctuary, uh, or just find me and you'll find far too much of it on your Twitter feed. He's. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I literally, I just scroll through Twitter and I've got at least four or five uh, <laughs> tweets from Tom about all the different stuff that he does. It's great work. He does a fantastic job. Um, again, I appreciate you being on with me today. You guys, my name, Daniel Harms. You can find me on Twitter at inharmsway19. This is the Fantasy Football Astronauts Podcast, and we are blasting off again. We'll see you guys next time.